You're listening to The Bible Says. You'll discover that many of the things you think the Bible says, it actually does not say. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. Anybody like me, are you excited to be in God's house today? I know that I am. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Robert Andrews, one of the pastors here at Elevate Church, and I'm so glad that you are joining us today. We are starting a brand new series today, a brand new series today called The Bible Says. And, and I wonder as we start uh, today, how many of y'all think you got a pretty good memory? You think you got a pretty good, pretty good memory? A couple of people, some people are like, not me. A couple of people though, think they got a good memory. All right. Uh, well, well, do you know that sometimes the things that, that we remember, you know, sometimes the things that we remember, they, they aren't real. Did you know that? Did you know that sometimes the, the things that we remember never actually happen? Did you know that? Uh, we think we got a good memory, but sometimes the things that we remember, just they just never happen. Like this. How many of y'all have ever heard of Raisin Bran cereal? You've heard of Raisin Bran cereal? Anybody out there? How many of y'all like Raisin Bran cereal? That stuff's gross, man. Somebody told me, oh, it tastes just like Frosted Flakes. Yeah, maybe if Frosted Flakes was dipped in gross and not sugar, you know what I'm saying? Nasty stuff. But anyway, the Raisin Bran, the Raisin Bran. Oh, we got this already messed up there, messed up. Uh, so we got the Raisin Bran cereal. Well, how many of y'all remember the sunglasses that the Raisin Bran cereal used to, used to wear? Used to wear. Anybody remember the sun? What color were the sunglasses that Raisin Bran used to wear? Purple? Black? Actually... They never wore sunglasses. Never wore sunglasses. I got a picture. We, I think we, we messed it up. That's all right, though. Uh, there he is right there. That's the sun. He never wore sunglasses. But some people would say, man, I remember the Raisin Bran cereal uh, wearing those sunglasses, those sunglasses. But he never did. You can check out the evolution of their logo, and it never, it never, never happened. Hundreds of people, though, would say that, that, that he did, but he never, never did. What about this? Uh, how many of y'all remember those? Uncle Sam Wants You posters. You remember the Uncle Sam Wants You posters? Y'all remember these Uncle Sam? Anybody? Okay, just checking. So how many of y'all remember what color the stripes were on Uncle Sam's hat? Anybody remember what color the stripes were? Were they red or were they blue? Red and white? Or were they, who, who says red and white? Raise your hand. Who says blue and white? Well, if you said red or white stripes or blue or white stripes, you're actually wrong. He didn't have any stripes on his hat. Uh, he, had, he had just a blue star on his hat. But so people see people dress up like Uncle Sam, and a lot of times when he dresses up like Uncle Sam, he's got these red stripes on there. But Uncle Sam, again, he never, never had those stripes on his, on his hat. What about the Pillsbury Doughboy? Anybody remember the Pillsbury Doughboy? Anybody remember that? Yeah, you touch him in his belly, and he goes, <laughs> Sadie Kate came up to me the other day and she touched me on my belly. She said, hey, if I touch you on your belly, will you go, hoo-hoo? I said, why would you even ask that? She said, because your stomach is squishy. <laughs> so she's grounded for life. Uh, but anyway, so how many of y'all remember the Pillsbury Double? How many of y'all remember what color his, his scarf is? Anybody remember what color his scarf is? How many people say that it would be blue? Anybody remember the blue scarf? How many people say the white scarf? Some people are like, man, I don't even know. I don't want to raise my hand. I'll be wrong. So how many people say what? Red? All right. Well, so actually, the Pillsbury Doughboy, his, his scarf has always been white. Again, you can go back and look at the evolution of, of the logo, and it never happened. But so many people, again, they remember it that way. Let me give you one that's going to make your head explode right here. Okay, y'all ready? So watch out if you're sitting by somebody. Just watch out. How many of y'all like Star Wars? You like Star Wars? All right. So in Star Wars, there's this scene, there's this infamous scene where Luke Skywalker is fighting Darth Vader, right? And Darth Vader actually cuts off 
uh, Luke Skywalker's hand. And so Luke Skywalker is holding his hand, or at least where his hand used to be, and, you know, uh, he's, he's upset. And so Darth Vader looks at uh, Luke Skywalker, and everybody knows the line. It's the iconic line. He says, Luke, I am your father. Anybody remember that? You're like, man, does anybody remember that? We're, I'm like in Bizarro world here. Everybody's like, man, I'm still asleep. But, but his, so that's what everybody remembers. But do you know that he actually never says that in the movie? He actually never says, Luke, I am your father. He doesn't say it. So Luke is crying, and he's like, he's like uh, you killed my father. Because Obi-Wan Kenobi told him that. But then Darth Vader just says, no, I am your father. He doesn't say, Luke, I am your father. But so many people, again, they remember that line for him saying, Luke, I am your father. He says, again, no, I am your father. Some of y'all don't believe me, but it's true. And with all of these, all these things we've looked at, all these things and more, there are hundreds and thousands of people who have the same memory of those things. The problem is they never really happen. The problem is you're not remembering them correctly. And so the same thing happens for Christians and non-Christians alike when it comes to the Bible. There are so many people who will say the Bible says, the Bible says this, the Bible says that, and they'll, they'll say the Bible says this and the Bible says that. The problem is oftentimes they're saying things that the Bible says that the Bible actually never actually says. And so uh, we misquote the Bible. We actually misrepresent uh, the Bible. And so we're going to really look at some things that during this series that Christians really believe the Bible says, but in all actuality, the Bible does not say. And today we're going to start with the words of Jesus in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, these are some of the most misused verses in the Bible. We're going to read them together. Let's look at this, or I'll read them first. It says this, and I will do what? What do you say? I will do whatever. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Verse 14 says this, You may ask anything. You may ask anything in my name, and I will do it. So what does Jesus say right there? Jesus says, you can ask me anything. You can ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. So if you pray in faith and you believe in Jesus' name, if if you pray for the job, you're going to get the job. If you pray for the girl, you know, you're going to get the girl. If you pray for a kid, you're going to get the kid. If you pray in Jesus' name that you're going to win the lottery, it's going to happen. That's what that verse says, right? You can pray for anything in my name, and you will get it. I mean, those words are in red in my Bible. Jesus said it, so that settles it. So it must be true. There are a lot of people who that's actually what they believe. But then they find themselves in situations where they remember those verses, where they have heard those verses, and so they pray asking God to do something. They believe that God will do something. They believe that God will heal this sick person who they love. They ask God to heal their marriage. They ask God to do all sorts of things, and then God doesn't do it. And so they're thinking in their mind that obviously these verses are not true. Obviously, these verses don't work. Obviously, when Jesus said those things, he didn't know what he was, he was saying. He didn't know what he was talking about. Those are the conclusions that you and I are left with, with unless when it really comes to those verses, we're not properly understanding the context of them. 
See, let me give you a, a real simplified version of how to interpret the Scripture. If you want to interpret Scripture correctly, I'm going to give you three steps real quick. If you're taking notes, you want to write them down. If you want to interpret Scripture correctly, the first thing that you need to do is you need to understand the context. You need to understand the context. It means that when we read a verse, we don't want to just know what one verse says. We want to know what is happening before that verse. We want to know what is happening after that verse. We want to know who wrote the verse. We want to know what the major theme is around the verse. We want to know who the author was. We want to know what he was trying to say. We want to understand, again, the context of that verse or those verses. See, you can actually take one or two verses and make the Bible say anything that you want it to say. Did you know that? You, you, really, you really can. I, I'll prove it to you. How many of y'all like to exercise? Raise your hand. You like to exercise? A couple people like to exercise. How many of y'all are into fitness? You know what I mean? Man, when I go to Pizza Inn, I'm into fitness pizza in my mouth, man. I love, I love me some pizza. But how many of this? Be honest. How many of y'all like to run? You like to run? Raise your hand. Keep them up real high. Come on now. Raise your hand. If you like to run, you like to run. Well, here's, here's the deal. Keep your hand up. If you, if you like to run, you're wicked. Uh, you can be mad at me all you want, but that's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. I'm going to prove it to you. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 1 says this. Look at what it says. It says, the wicked run when there is no one chasing them. <laughs> I think we got that verse somewhere. The wicked run when there is no one chasing them. Proverbs 28.1. You can check that out. We couldn't get it up on the screen, but that's all right. So here's the deal. Uh, is that really what that verse means? That, hey, when, you, when you're running... You know what I mean? For no reason, that means you're, you're wicked. That's not what that verse means, right? You've got to understand that verse in all verses in their proper context. Somebody once told me that, hey, you know what I mean? When you take the text out of context, all you're left with is a con. And so I never forgot that. Again, that's why it's so important for you and I to get the context right so that we can interpret the Scripture properly. The second thing that I want you to understand when it comes to really discovering the meaning of of scripture is this we need to interpret scripture with other scripture we want to interpret scripture with other scripture now this is really really important the best way to know what the bible says is by using the bible to tell itself what it's actually saying we're not going to build uh, our theology around one or two verses, what we're going to actually do is we're going to look at other verses and what other verses say about the same exact thing and the same topic. We're going to build our theology on the consistency of the scripture. What 66 books of the Bible and over 40 different authors under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at what they are trying to communicate to us. We're going to interpret scripture with scripture. The third thing that will really help you interpret scripture uh, uh, you know, properly is going to be to apply what you have learned. To apply what you have learned. And this is really, really, really important. See, there's so many people who just say, I want to know what the Bible says. I want to know what all is in there. I want to know all the information. I, I want to know what it says. I just want to have all this information. But you, you do know that God didn't give us his word for informational purposes. God didn't give us his word for informational purposes. God has given us his word for transformational purposes. He wants to take his word, you and I, to take his word and use it to transform our lives. But again, there's so many people who just say, I want to know more. I want to know more. I want to know more. Well, why in the world would God reveal to you more about himself and about his truths if you're not going to apply what you have already 
learned. Why would, why would he, he do that? It's just like school. You don't learn how to write incomplete sentences until you have learned how to spell, right? Until you've learned how to spell. You say, well, you don't have to learn how to spell to know how to write incorrect sentences or, or, or complete sentences. Yes, you do if you want your sentences to make sense, right? You, you, really, you really do that. You, you have to learn to apply the elementary principles before you can learn and apply deeper education. The same principle applies to God's God's word. And so, again, if you want to discover the real meaning of Scripture, you need to apply what you have learned, what you have learned. So, again, we're talking about this passage in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, we want to correctly understand it. We want to correctly understand it. We want to know what it's trying to say. We want to understand the context. So, who wrote the book of John? John. It's not a trick question. John wrote the book of John. What is the theme of the book of John? If you don't know, I will tell you John is trying to, to convince us and to tell us that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the main theme in the entire book. You go back to John chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, right? Then you go to John 1, 14, and the Bible says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Again, the author of John is John, and he's trying to convince us that Jesus is the Son of God. So what is the context of John chapter 14? Because we've only looked at two verses. What's happening in the whole chapter? Well, it starts out with Jesus telling his disciples, do not be afraid. He says, don't be afraid that he's going to prepare a place for them. That's what Jesus actually says. He tells them that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, nobody comes to the Father except through me. Then Jesus goes on to say, hey, hey, I've got to go. I've got to leave. And when I leave, it's actually going to be better for you guys because when I leave, the Holy Spirit is going to come. When he comes, it's going to be so much better. So if the main theme of John chapter 14, if you really look at it, it's not prayer. That's not the main theme of John chapter 14. The main theme of John chapter 14 is preparation. It's the preparations that Jesus is making for us. That is the main theme. So understanding the main theme of the book is John trying to convince us that Jesus is the Son of God. Understanding the theme of John 14 that, that Jesus is making preparations for us. Understanding those two things should help us read those verses a little bit differently. Y'all stay with me. Here's what the Bible says in verse 13. We're going to look at it again. John 14. He says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. And now look what he says. He says, he will do it. He says, why he will do it? So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Do you really see what Jesus says right there? Don't, don't, don't miss it. Jesus says that the reason that God answers your prayer and the reason why God answers my prayer and the reason why God answers all of our prayer is not so that our life will be awesome. It's not so we'll have more money. It's not so we'll have a nicer car. It's not so we'll have granite kitchen countertops. The reason God answers our prayer is so that the Father in heaven will be glorified. See, when we read that passage, understanding that we are not the main point of that passage, and when we understand that our prayers are not the main point of the passage, when we understand that God is the main subject, we have to recognize that there is a different purpose for our prayers. There is a much different purpose for your prayers and my prayers than often we realize. So why in the world are we even looking at this? Why in the world does it even matter? I'll tell you why. Because as a pastor, 
I have seen these verses cause people to walk away from the faith. I have. I've seen people pray for something. They've prayed for someone again to be healed. They've prayed for a relationship to be mended. They've prayed for something and they believed that it was going to happen and God didn't do what they asked. And so they naturally assume, you know what? Either God is not real, God is not loving, or God doesn't care. He's just not good. I'm telling you, I've seen people walk away from God because God did not do what they wanted God to do. So understanding context in John chapter 14 is so important. So let's try to translate this scripture or interpret this scripture by using other scripture. So when it comes to our prayers, when it comes to our prayers, what, what, does really, what does really God care about? Let me give you four things that God cares about when it comes to our prayers. If you keep a note, you want to write them down. The first one is this. When you're praying, God cares about your relationships. He cares about our relationships. Our relationships matter to God. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus says something very similar to what he says in John chapter 14. In Mark chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, check out what Jesus says. He says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. That's an amazing promise, right? Okay, an amazing promise. But then look at what Jesus says in verse 25, the very next verse. And when you stand praying, If you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. You see what Jesus says right there? Jesus says when you are praying, if you've got some sort of grudge, if you've got something against someone else, you better go and deal with that relationship first before you continue praying. Evidently, our relationships matter to God. You cannot go to God and say, God, I want you to help me. Man, give me some increase. Give me some financial stability. Help me with my bills. Give me a little bit more. God, I need this. I need a little extra. I name it. I claim it. And by the way, I hate my my neighbor. You can't do that. You cannot do that. You say, well, I never say that. You can't live that way because God knows the condition of your heart. I mean, as a parent, you and I know this to be true. How many parents you got out there? You got kids, okay? Got kids. I mean, have your kids ever come to you, man, and they said, man, she hit me. She called me a name. She won't get out of my room. She's so annoying. I hate her. Hey, can I have a friend come over? No, you can't have a friend come over. Not until you get along with your sister, right? See, we understand those relationships matter, and apparently they also matter to God. God feels the same way. In fact, last week we finished that love and marriage series. I know some people are like, man, praise the Lord, we're out of that, right? Right? Some of you are like, man, I don't want to hear nothing else about that. Let me pick on the husbands a little bit more. Let me, let me, let me pick on y'all a little bit more. Let me show you something the Bible says. It's amazing. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Here's what it says. In the same way, again, God cares about your relationships. You've got to see this. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives, treating your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in, uh, in God's gift of new life. Treat her, watch this, treat her as you should. Now look, wives, if you're sitting next to your husband, don't elbow him. Just kind of clear your throat <clears throat> so he knows. Hey, treat her as you should. Why? 
so that your prayers will not be hindered. See, folks, if I'm a jerk to my wife, what does that do? It hinders my prayers. It hinders my prayers. Men, maybe you've been praying about something. You've been praying about something going on in your life. You've been praying about something that you want to happen at your job. You've been praying about something you want to happen for your kids, for your family. You've been praying about something, yet you're mistreating your wife. You're mistreating your wife. Apparently, the reason why some of our prayers aren't answered is because they're hindered because of the way we treat our wife. We're not treating our wife the way that we should. So when you pray, you need to understand that your relationships matter to God. Your relationships matter to God. The next thing that I want you to see that matters to God when we pray is that our motives matter to God. Our motives matter to God. James, who is the brother of Jesus, actually says it this way in James chapter 4, verse 3. He says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So sometimes we don't get what we're asking for. Why? Because we're asking with the wrong motives. This was common during Jesus's days. The Pharisees, man, they prayed with the wrong motives. They stood on the street corners. They wanted to be heard. They wanted to appear holy. And they had these nice, elaborate prayers where they're like, Dear God, most holy, heavenly Father, how majestic are you? How magnificent are you? Omnipotent, omniscient God, I'm so glad that I'm not like everyone else. I am holy. I am so good. And God is sitting here going, You hypocrite. That's not why you pray to me. That's not why you pray to me. You're praying with the wrong motives. And there's this temptation for you and for me, for each and every one of us, to again pray with these wrong motives. And sometimes we think our, our motives are right, but deep down we, we've got, we've got a, a wrong motive. Like I know single guys. I know single guys who are, who are praying for God to send them a Christian girl. But not just any Christian girl. They want God to send them a smoking hot Christian girl. You know what I'm saying? God, send me that smoking hot Christian girl. And so when they can't find that smoking hot Christian girl, they go out and find that smoking hot wild girl. And then they're like, God, save her. God, save her. Amen. She's for me. God, save. Again, that's praying with the wrong motives. The wrong motives. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2 says this, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but, but what? Motives are weighed by the Lord. Again, we're talking about things that matter to God when we pray. When we pray, evidently our relationships matter. Evidently our motives matter. The next thing I want you to see that matters to God when you are praying is our faith. Our faith matters to God. James, again, who is the brother of Jesus. Here's what he says in James chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. He says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. You see that? The person who doubts should not expect to receive anything from God. Jesus, when talking about our faith, likes to compare our faith to a child. He says you need to have faith like a child. And, and isn't it amazing the type of faith and the, 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 the amount of faith that a child actually 
has. It amazes me. I, I got kids and it just amazes me. Sadie Kate, my eight-year-old, I remember several years ago we had gone down to the Walmart to buy some stuff for those shoe boxes. We were filling those shoe boxes up with presents for kids that were going to be sent all the way uh, all over the world. You know what I mean? And so I know some of y'all have done that stuff as well. But so I brought Sadie Kate with me to help me pick out stuff. And while we were there doing that, Sadie Kate also brought some of her own money so that she could buy herself a present, okay? So she's helping me pick out all this stuff for these shoe boxes, and she's picking out, like, expensive toys, like really expensive. And so I finally said, hey, uh, Sadie, uh, man, uh, this is great, but, but Daddy's got to pay for that. I don't really have a whole lot. I don't have, I don't have enough money to buy all of that. And so Sadie Kate is just like, well, you can use my money to help pay for those, those toys. And so I said, that's real sweet, baby. I said, but, I said, I don't mind using your money. I said, but if I use your money, you need to understand, you, you're not going to be able to buy yourself a present. You're not going to be able to buy yourself something at Walmart either. And so uh, without skipping a beat, Sadie looked at me and said, that's okay. God will give me money and I'll get something next time we come. And I'm going, I'm so in mind, I'm like, oh, man, the faith, right? But I'm also trying to be realistic with her. And I'm like, hey, that's, that's amazing, baby. But you need to understand, God might not give you any more money until your birthday in January. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, so, and so I'm a pastor, and I'm, like, talking her out of having faith, you know? And she's like, oh, no, he's going to send me some money. He's going to send me some money. And I said, all right. So we buy that stuff, and then, like, the next day, I'm, I'm sitting in the living room, and she comes in there with a $20 bill in her hand. And she got a card in the mail. It was a card in the mail. There's 20 bucks in this card. And she says, ta-da! I'm like, ta-da what? She said, God gave me some. And she shaked. I said, girl, would you pray for your dad? I need God to give me some money too. I keep checking the mailbox. It ain't come yet. But evidently, again, to some degree, and I can't fully explain this, but our faith matters to God. In fact, whenever there were two blind men, again, they couldn't see. They come to Jesus. And you know what happens? Again, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 29, they come to Jesus. And look what the Bible says. It says, then he touched their eyes, Jesus. And he says, according to your what? Faith. Let it be done to you. And the scriptures say that they were healed. They were able to see. I'm telling you, your faith matters when you pray. So if you're taking really good notes... You might be thinking, well, you know, if my relationships are right when I'm praying, if my motives seem to be right when I'm praying, and if I'm really believing that what I'm asking for is going to happen, man, it, it's, 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 gonna, it's just going to have to happen. Some people believe that, but that leads people to this idea of this prosperity gospel where if they'll just name it and claim it or blab it and grab it or see it and be it, that it will, it will happen. Man, Jesus, I, I want this car. I want this car in Jesus' name. I'm not going to work. I don't like to work. But I believe I'm going to get this car in Jesus' name. It's going to happen. It's coming to me. It's happening. And so, if, you know, people think, again, if I just have enough faith, that's going to happen. The problem is when you operate like that, the answer to your prayers lies solely on you. Lies solely on you. They think, well, I've done everything right. I've done everything right, so God has to do what I have asked him to do. He's my magic genie. I've rubbed the lamp right. He has to answer my prayer. But if that's what you believe, you are leaving out the most important thing that matters to God when you pray. And that's the fourth thing that I want you to see. 
What, what matters to God when we pray, what God cares about is not only our relationships, not only our motives, not only our faith, but His will. God cares about His will when we pray. John, the very same John, who said you can have anything you want when you pray in the name of Jesus. Look at what he said in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. He says this, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we, if we ask anything according to His will, that He hears us, and if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked Him for. So don't miss this. You can't just go to God and ask Him for whatever you want and demand that He do it for you. You can't. If, if, that's, if that's what you do, if that's really what you do, that, that, makes, that makes us God and not Him. It, it, it's not according to our will that we pray. It's according to His will. It's according to His will. And so if we understand that, then our main text in John chapter 14, verse 14, might make a, a little more sense to us if we read it again. Look at what the Bible says. It says, this is Jesus. You may ask me for anything in my name. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. In other words, when you and I go to the Father, whose name do we go in? Jesus' name. You know, and so if we, if we don't go in representing Jesus in the right way, we're discrediting who Jesus is to God. Have you ever had somebody misrepresent you to somebody else? So, like, it happens with our kids all the time. I might say, hey, Brianna, can you go and get Sadie Kate? I need to talk to her for a second. Or I might say, hey, Sadie Kate, will you go and get Brianna? I need to talk for her a minute. And so they'll go back there and they'll say, Ooh, daddy wants to talk to you. You're in trouble. And so they automatically come up there. I, I, I didn't do it. She did it. I'm like, man, I, what in the world, man? I, I didn't. But, but because I asked my child to speak on my behalf, to represent me, and they have represented me wrong, again, it, it just messes things up. Well, remember, John 14. Jesus says, again, you can ask anything in his name, anything in his name, and God will do it. But look at what else he says in John chapter 14. Again, verse 6. We've already looked at this. We've already looked at it. We didn't look at the verse, but I, I told you what it says. Again, the same chapter. We're looking at the theme in this chapter. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me, except through Jesus. Man, stick with me. This is good. The only way you can come to the Father is through who? Jesus. It's through Jesus. The only way you and I have access to God the Father is through the Son, through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who gives us the right to speak to God the Father. Jesus is the one who gives us permission to go before the Father. And Jesus says, you can ask God of anything in my name, in my name, and according to my will. Well, this is the key to getting what we are asking for. I come in honoring Jesus, the one who gives me the right to stand before God, and I come in asking for things that Jesus himself would ask for. He says, you may ask of anything 
in my name and according to my will, and I will do it. Again, I don't need to be praying for my will. I don't need to be praying for my will. I need to be praying for God's will. Think about when the disciples asked Jesus to teach us how to pray. What did Jesus say? He said, I'll do it. You do it this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. If prayer, if prayer is only a tool to get what you and I want from God, that's an insult to God. I'm going to say it again. If prayer is just a tool that you and I use to get what we want from God, that's an insult to God. That's an insult to him. Imagine if you only went to your earthly father saying, Dad, give me this. Dad, give me that. Dad, give me this. Give me that. Give me this. Give me this. Give me this. That would make your father your servant. God is not our servant. We are his servant. We are his. And so if God doesn't do what I have asked him to do, that doesn't lessen who he is. It doesn't wreck my faith because my faith is not based on what I am asking him to do. My faith is based on what he has already done for me by dying on Calvary's cross for my sins. See, if God doesn't ever do anything else for me, he's already done enough. He's already done enough. But still, what about the times when our relationships seem to be in order? What about the times when our motives seem to be right? What about the time when our faith, we really do have faith that what we are asking God is going to do? And what about the times when, when we're asking for things to happen that really do appear to be part of God's will? What, what about... What about that? Well, here's the deal, and I'm wrapping up. Y'all try to stay with me. Here's the deal. I've told y'all several times before. If you're new here, you might not know this. But when I was five years old, my father committed suicide. He committed suicide, and I remember, man, it, it wrecked me. Me and my sister, we both took that very hard. Took it really hard. And so growing up, me and my sister didn't get along. I don't... I, I don't um, want to say that we hated each other, but I do believe there was a few times that she tried to kill me. One time specifically, she shut the garage door on my head and laughed about it. And some of y'all are like, oh, that explains a lot. That's what's wrong with that guy. But again, we, we just really didn't get along. Didn't really talk to each other much growing up. And we dealt with that loss in our own way, in different ways, but we were both mad. Well, I remember in 1995 when I gave my heart to God, when I gave my life to Christ, it was at that moment that I realized, you know, because I, I was mad at God. It was at that moment that I realized God didn't do that to me. God didn't cause that to happen. It wasn't God's fault. Uh, and so I let that go, and God really did a work in my life. But in 1995, when I got saved, my sister was still mad at God. And she was still lost and didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And by the way, I've asked her, can I share this story? She gave me permission. So y'all are like, oh my gosh, she's here today. But she didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And so in 1995, when I got saved, I began praying for my sister. In 1995. I began praying that she would get saved. That she would come to faith in Christ. That she would make peace 
with God. Again, I started praying that in 1995, and I kept praying that for years and years and years and years and years. And I wondered, why in the world hasn't God answered my prayer? Why, why hasn't God answered? I mean, this seems like such a good thing. It seems like the right thing. Look at, I want you to see John chapter 14, verse 13. We've already looked at this verse numerous times, but look at what the Bible says again. Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name. Why? So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So I was praying again for my sister to be saved. To get her life right, I started praying that prayer in 1995, and it wasn't happening. So I was wondering again, why? 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 Why would you answer this prayer? And so I had no idea that as I was praying that prayer, I had no idea as I was praying that prayer in 1995, I had no idea as I started praying that prayer what God was doing behind the scenes. I had no idea what God was really orchestrating. I had no idea that 21 years later, this was going to happen. We got a picture. We didn't talk. And I had no idea, man, that 21 years later, on February 21st, 2016, I was going to baptize my sister again. I'm wondering, why, God, haven't you answered my prayer? Why? To 21 years. But the purpose in God answering my prayer wasn't so I could get what I was asking for. The purpose in God answering my prayer is so he could get the glory. I had no idea that God did a work in my life. God was doing a work in her life. Man, God did this church. This church is only six years old. God did all of that so he could receive the most glory. Again, the reason I pray is not so I can get what I want. to submit my will to what he wants. And his timing is perfect. And so if your relationships are right, if your motives are right, if your faith is pure, and you are praying for something according to God's will, don't stop praying. You keep praying. Because you might not see it right now. But God is working something huge out. He's working something huge out so that you can receive, so that he can receive the most glory. Keep praying. Keep believing. Because God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. 
just because what you've asked God for doesn't seem to be coming to pass, man, don't stop praying. Again, your faith isn't wrapped up in whether or not God does what you ask him to do or not. But you keep praying. Because God wants to do something great in you. God wants to do something great through you. And God wants to do something great for you. He's that good. But he cares about our relationships. He cares about our motives. He cares about our faith. Most importantly, he cares about his will. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you're at in your Christian walk. But maybe you're here today because somebody has been praying for you for years, just like I was praying for my sister. They've been praying for you for years. And you just started coming and you think, well, it's just church. Man, God, God is working something big out. So maybe you're here today and, and you know you're lost and you think just being here today is an accident. I want you to know that it's not. God orchestrated all of this for you because he loves you. and He wants to forgive you. He wants you to enter into a relationship with him. So if you're here today and you know you need to be saved and you want to be saved, you want to give Jesus your heart and your life, I'm going to ask that right where you are, you just pray this prayer. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you, Father, for not giving up on me. And I pray that you would forgive me for my sins. That you would come into my heart right now. That you would change me. That you would mold me into a new person. Not a better version of my old self, Father, but a new person. The old is gone. The new has come. I confess you as Lord. I confess you as Savior. And I thank you for saving me. May I be completely different from this day forward. Again, our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed. But if you prayed to receive Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask that you just do something for me. That you just raise your hand so that I can know God's moving. Amen. 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 Father, thank you for new life. Thank you for loving me. Father, and as we get ready to celebrate with people who have surrendered their life to you and they're fixing to take that next step and be baptized, Father, I just pray. I just pray that they would realize how blessed they are. I pray that we would all realize how blessed we are. Thank you for your presence. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.